Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Premier of Alberta, Jason Kenney. We had an interview scheduled with the Premier last weekend. It's our problem. We couldn't make it happen. Premier, thanks very much for agreeing to come on today. Uh, good to be here, Roy. Let me start, first of all, with the story that's getting a tremendous amount of attention in, uh, in, in your province and is reverberating across the country, and that is you suggesting that COVID-19 might uh, not allow you to balance the uh, budget, the Alberta budget, by 2021. Speak to that, please. Well, we don't know the full impact of this, obviously, Roy, but it, it appears from most of the uh, epidemiological data that uh, we're closer to the beginning than the end of this wave of global infections. And what we do know, though, is that it, it has already and very severely affected the global economy. Uh, it appears that this will be the first year uh, in that we know of statistical history where there's a decline in global oil demand. Um, and uh, obviously that means decline in in commodities generally will affect the Canadian economy. We see that reflected in the price of oil. Uh, It's down, uh, West Texas Intermediate was trading uh, around uh, $40, and uh, uh, discussions between OPEC and Russia broke down a couple of days ago. There are some indications that they actually intend to increase volumes in the face of shrinking demand. Uh, in order to try to uh, essentially punish the U.S. shale gas industry. I know that's a, a packed a lot into that, but, but we follow these prices very closely in Alberta. They affect um, our entire economy and our fiscal bottom line. Um, it, it, we've had the worst uh, two weeks in stock markets around the world in uh, since 2007. So this is very serious. Uh, obviously, we want to hope for the best, but we should all prepare for the worst. I spoke earlier with the uh, deputy chief economist for the Institute for International Finance, and uh, they have a lot of sway, as you know, internationally. And they told us that the global economic growth for this year may only be 1%, which is the lowest since 2009. That doesn't sound particularly encouraging, although they do see the odd potential silver lining in that cloud. But a 1% global growth in in economy is, is very concerning. Well, hugely concerning. I mean, look, there's a lot of different um, uh, projections coming out of China, which obviously affects the whole uh, global economy. But, uh, I mean, some projections that they may go into negative growth for the first time in decades. Um, But what we do know is that this situation is affecting the global economy seriously. Um, As I say, we we all hope that effect will be short term, but um, uh, there are there are considerable headwinds ahead of us and uh, uh, huge reduction in, 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 in global travel, in flights that will affect uh, airlines, the tourism industry, both here and abroad. Um, and and uh, so, so we are very concerned. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of frustrating for us in Alberta because we've been through five years of economic decline and stagnation already. 
and it looked like 2020 was going to be a turnaround year for us. I still hope it will be. We've been projected by the conference board and banks to be uh, one of the fastest growing economies in Canada, Canada this year, um, supposedly about 2.2% growth. Uh, and um, we uh, were looking forward to that. But, and we're doing all the right things we can in policy to make that happen, reducing the tax rate on employers, reducing red tape, um, much more actively promoting investment. A lot of new investments starting to move in this province, but uh, it, it is possible that we will be sidetracked by a significant global economic downturn. Premier, do you find it helpful that uh, voices from Toronto are telling you how you should run your government and how you should uh, <laughs> deal with uh, taxes? And if only you did things the way the rest of the country would uh, is doing things, you'd be billions in the black. Do you find that really helpful? I think you may be referring to the Toronto Globe and Mail that ran a an op-ed this past week saying. If only Alberta were to tax at the same level as the rest of Canadian provinces, it would have a surplus and not a deficit. And I, I replied, if only Alberta were to spend at the same level of other Canadian provinces, we'd have a large surplus instead of a deficit. The worst thing we could do in the midst of, of real economic fragility would be to add a, a multi-billion dollar tax hike on working families. You know, basically what they're implying is we should impose... a. I guess about an 8% sales tax on this province, that would take about $6,000 a year out of the pockets of, of ordinary families and households. Um, at a time when people have already seen a steep decline in their incomes and um, we have stubbornly high unemployment, you know, uh, that's a recipe um, to inflict more economic pain on Alberta. So thanks, but no thanks to the Toronto Globe and Mail and certain know-it-all Laurentian elitists we're trying to dictate to Alberta, and at the same time, they're telling us, many of these columnists from Toronto and Ottawa, that we should, quote, uh, move away from uh, our oil and gas industry. Well, guess what is Canada's single largest export industry? We export more Canadian energy to the U.S. and the rest of the world than we do in the value of cars made in Ontario or airplanes made in Quebec or anything else. Um, and, uh, you know, the entire Canadian economy would be... Uh, you know, we would lose 10% of our economy overnight yeah. if we were to shut down the Alberta energy industry. It's ridiculous. Premier, I spoke last weekend with Laura Lau of Brompton Corp in Toronto, who manages some $2 billion in assets. And we talked about the, uh, the oil sands, and we talked about tech, Frontier Mine, and the company deciding it wasn't going to go ahead, largely because of the regulatory uh, morass that awaits anybody who tries to develop energy in uh, in this country. Here's uh, I asked her if it was the last nail in the coffin for inventors, investors. Rather, here's a little bit of what she said. We've had time and time again uh, the government not supportive of projects, and whether it be oil sands projects or even pipeline projects, because we need to get the oil to market, and it's been very difficult to get any big energy projects off the ground in Canada. That's somebody managing two billion dollars. I'm sure you hear that over and over. Well, Roy, I, I've heard that from people managing uh, hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, and, um, I mean, there were just news stories uh, th this past week about uh, a the largest uh, equity fund in the United States apparently pulling out of a, a, a multi-billion dollar transaction to support an LNG, liquefied natural gas export project out of Quebec. I was going to raise that you know, with you. Yeah, here you've got, as I've said to Justin Trudeau, uh, Roy, we have all 13 provinces and territories from east to west and left to right, every partisan color that has expressed support 
for massively increasing Canadian exports of liquefied natural gas to create jobs and wealth and tax revenue here and reduce global greenhouse gas emissions by accelerating the thermal coal uh, to natural gas conversion for power production around the world, especially in the developing countries. You've got virtual unanimity in favor of that amongst um, Aboriginal groups in the country, including, for example, the 20 elected First Nations councils in northern B.C. that support the uh, Coastal Gas Link project. Uh, and you've got New Democrats in New Brunswick and Liberals on the East, I'm sorry, in the British Columbia and, and Liberals on the East Coast and the soft nationalist government in Quebec all support LNG. So we thought that project, Energy Saguenay, um, was a real opportunity to show, and I said to the Prime Minister, to show, to, to create national unity for all of the contention around issues about energy and the environment here is one point of virtual unanimity a country building wealth creating job creating uh, concept but we have international investors leaving because of rail blockades and the inability or unwillingness to um, ensure the rule of law so uh, she is right to 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 say that and uh, we have seen um, I think the latest count is something like a hundred and fifty billion dollars of prospective investment in major energy projects cancelled in the last five years uh, under this federal government. And, 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 and interestingly, just last week, the week that tech cancelled its frontier mine proposal, uh, Vladimir Putin announced $150 billion of planned new capital investment to develop Siberian uh, oil fields. And two months ago, Russia opened its, I believe, $100 billion massive gas pipeline to China. So, you you know, I, I, again, so many of these, these, these columnists in, in, in Toronto and Ottawa, Montreal, saying that, 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 that uh, there's a flight of capital from the oil and gas industry uh, and that Canada should just wake up and walk away from the industry. No, there's not a flight of, of, of capital away from the industry. There's a flight of capital away from Canadian jobs towards the production of energy in places like Russia and an OPEC dictatorship. Saudi Aramco is getting ready to do its first uh, uh, initial public offering yeah. of shares. Premier, let me get you... Tens of... I'm let me get you. Let me get. Let me get you to hold on for a second because we're going to come back on this. But we also have uh, China, which continues to build huge numbers of coal-fired energy plants, uh, while tech is so discouraged by what's going on with the uh, with, with the regulatory realities. And even though they spent a billion dollars on it, and reaction by or non-reaction by the federal government, you know, speaking, talk, talking between the lines. While that's going on, um, while China's doing that, they're also getting a license from the government of Canada. Uh, to explore for oil off the shore of Newfoundland and Labrador. That just makes my head hurt. You're meeting with the Prime Minister. You and the uh, fellow premiers are at least, I don't know if you're meeting or having a conference call. But a number of issues that I know you're going to raise. One of them is the actual fiscal, fiscal stabilization program, equalization program. What are you going to say to the Prime Minister? What, does, what do you want from him? Well, we have the support of all 13 provinces and territories for a very specific request that they retroactively lift the arbitrary cap on something called fiscal stabilization, which is like an equalization rebate for have provinces when they see a sudden decline in revenues. We should have received about $2.6 billion from the federal government for that when we saw a 20% decline in our revenues back in 2014, 15, 16, but we received instead $60 million. So we're, you know, 
given that the feds are not going to change equalization anytime soon, this is one way they could show a bit of fairness to the province that has paid a massive share of the national bills in recent decades. When it comes to the issue of the carbon tax imposed by Ottawa on Alberta, on Saskatchewan, and I'm looking at your provinces particularly because neither one returned or sent a Liberal MP to Ottawa, you're telling the Prime Minister it's time to remove the carbon tax until the Supreme Court of Canada makes a decision, correct? Yes. Okay, that's a good answer. And that's based on the uh, on the Court of Appeal in Alberta saying to uh, the Trudeau government, you don't have that constitutional power. In a very strong 4-1 to decision, uh, clearly asserting it, that uh, the federal carbon tax is, quotes, a constitutional Trojan's horse, unquote, that represents an unprecedented violation of provincial jurisdiction under the Constitution. So... Um, it was a stunning rebuke of the federal uh, carbon tax that is punishing people for driving to work and heating their homes, and we hope the federal government will respect the court. So back to this uh, Quebec LNG project for just a moment. Warren Buffett stepping back from investing $4.5 billion, I believe, and that's going to hurt. Um, but Quebec, doesn't Quebec have ultimately the final say on whether this project gets built, as opposed to Alberta having the final say on tech, for example? Well, um, I, Do I have that incorrectly? Could, yeah, I mean, the federal government's, I'm not sure what regulatory role they would play, but I will say this, the government of Quebec supports the Energy Saguenay project very strongly, right. and we hope to find a way to work with them to keep it alive, despite this unfortunate uh, withdrawal of a potential investment capital. Okay, what I was getting at is Quebec may have a decision-making power that Alberta didn't. Yes, no? Well, let's put it this way. When uh, New Brunswick asked uh, Prime Minister Trudeau to revive Energy East, after it had been cancelled, Prime Minister Trudeau said to New Brunswick, you've got to get Quebec's permission first. In other words, Prime Minister Trudeau gave to Quebec a unilateral veto, a political veto, over an intra-provincial pipeline, which the Supreme Court of Canada recently affirmed on the B.C. case, is a matter of exclusive federal jurisdiction. In other words, infrastructure that goes between provinces, like pipelines, um, that's a federal responsibility, but the government of Canada has surrendered that uh, with respect to one province, Quebec, for oil pipelines. Premier Kenny, I've heard from a number of uh, Alberta residents after I promoted you'd be on the air with me, and uh, quite a few actually. And the question that comes up again and again is, would you ask Premier Kenny why he's at war at war with Alberta's doctors? What do you say to that? Well, we're not. Um, to the contrary, we want to continue compensating uh, our physicians at the highest levels in Canada. Our uh, budget for physician compensation uh, this year is $5.4 billion, the same as it was last year. So we're not actually proposing a dime in cuts for physician compensation. The problem, Roy, is in, the, in this province is that um, the government has had basically no control over how much physicians bill. So we've seen a near, nearly 300% increase in physician compensation over the past 18 years, massively faster than the growth of the population, of inflation, of the economy, of the number of patients. And um, physicians in Alberta bill, on average, about $94,000 more per year than they do in Ontario. They bill more than in any other province. All we're asking for is the ability better to manage those expenses, because if we don't, if they continue to grow at their current speed, They'll go up by another $2 billion that we just simply don't have. We're broke. We've got an $8 billion deficit. Um, 
at private sector families have seen their incomes go down on average by about 8% in the past five years. Ordinary public sector workers have seen a, a freeze for the past four or five years. But doctors have continued to see significant increases in their gross billings. We value our doctors. Um, they do essential work. We think they should be paid not just fairly, but generously. But for the time being, we can't afford massive annual increases. We just ask them to work with us in more doctors going to like contract-based compensation All right. uh, as opposed to fee-for-service. One last question for you. You're endorsing Aaron O'Toole as leadership for the Conservative Party of Canada. Why? I think he is uh, the best candidate uh, to, uh, to win. I've worked with Aaron when he was Veterans Affairs Minister. I was National Defense Minister. Uh, we need a leader who speaks French or speaks both official languages, and in my judgment, he's the only first-year candidate that does. Um, he, I, I've never known him to make uh, political mistakes. Uh, he uh, uh, has a great background as a former Air Force officer, um, as somebody who's worked on Bay Street and understands uh, business at a, at, a, at a and the economy. Okay, uh, who represents a suburban Toronto riding? I think that uh, he's um, he and he's a principled conservative who understands right. the need to maintain the breadth of our coalition. If you want to hear more, subscribe to the Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.